Welcome to the flyfisher.co.za podcasts. Well, I hope you guys are enjoying the podcast as much as I'm enjoying doing them. Mark Elland is our guest this evening, and he talks about competitive fishing and what it's brought to his fishing career, but he also talks about a whole bunch of other stuff. I think you guys would really enjoy this. I'm hoping to do another interview with him. He's a very charismatic person. He has a lot of interludes and insights into fishing. He's fished in many places and tells me he has a list as long as my arm of places he still wants to fish. I still have a couple others lined up. I spoke quite in depth with Peter Ardin from FASAF. Please give me feedback and comments. And once again, thanks to Man Friday for the intro music. I have the pleasure of welcoming Mark Yellow to the podcast. How are you doing, Mark? Good, thank you, Mark. Excellent. Um, Mark, it's really great to interview you. We have a lot of questions. I have people on the internet asking me to interview you, and I don't know what they want to ask, but... I have a bunch of them. I'm going to try and stick to the competitive bit, which is uh, probably what you're most known for in, in South African terms currently. But we do have a few other questions that I want to do. I have a few questions that I start off with as basic questions. How did you get into fishing? Well, I fished since a very young age, not necessarily fly fished. But when I say young age, possibly about eight or nine. So I've been at it uh, a long, long time now. <laughs> 34, 35 years without giving my age away. Um, yeah, and always had a passion about water and fishing, there's no doubt about it. Bait fishing, artificial lure fishing in my teens, and fly fishing in my sort of late, well, sort of early to mid-twenties. So it's uh, been at it a while. How did you get into the fly fishing? Because a lot of people started off with the art lure. Well, it's really interesting because I did my last year in uh, Damlin college which is in the center of the old Johannesburg and uh, it was very close to the then Laxton's uh, fishing general fishing store that had been there for a long long time and I met another fellow addict and that was in 1981 called Angelo Comus and I think it was a slippery downhill path from there on in <laughs> so I've been fishing seriously I did my military training mid 83 to late mid 85 I'd be I was fishing a little bit in between but I'd say very seriously from early uh, mid 85 fly fishing Okay, I know you've very well travelled. Where in the world have you fly fished? Well, I've been very fortunate. You know, I've fished uh, on five continents and more than 20 countries worldwide. So I've been very blessed. Uh, my competitive angling's taken me on a lot of my travels, general fly fishing. It's ironic that most of my travels have been fly fishing related. Also, you know, I'm very involved with the Wildfly television program or Supersport. So that's taken me more recently to Chile. So I've had some wonderful opportunities, but my list is down to about 50 pages, places to go, places to fish. So a lot of, still a lot of fishing to do. Okay. Where would you send me if, you, if I came in and said, oh, I'd like to go somewhere? Well, it depends. If you're looking for a very special sort of uh, experience, um, the South Island New Zealand fly fishing for sight fishing to browns has to rate. It's very, very special fishing. But we're, we're very fortunate in Africa and South Africa uh, side fishing with dry flies on Sturfontein Dam. Uh, the tiger fishing on the Zambezi, upper and lower Zambezi, has to be very special fishing with poppers. Uh, so they, they, we're blessed with a lot of fishing, but there is an enormous amount of fishing worldwide. Okay. Uh, what kind of kit do you use? Are you an Aquastealth man or a felt man? I prefer felt on the Vol. I've tried Aquastealth, um, and I just find the felt gives me a much better purchase. Okay. Uh, pack or vest? 
Uh, I've done a little bit of both, and I have to tell you that I've reverted back to a vest, and I seem a lot more comfortable with that. Mm. There's no doubt about it. I've seen on the TV wearing both a hat and a peak. Yeah, I think, you know, being um, spending the amount of time we do exposed, uh, often the peak is more because of my sponsors, but I, I much prefer the wide-brimmed hat. It doesn't, it's not a fashion item, there's no doubt about it, but from a protection point of view, um, I'm a, I prefer to wear a wide-brimmed hat. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, we want to talk about competitive fishing. So when did you start competitive fishing? Well, competitive fly fishing in South Africa is relatively new. You know, the World Championships have been held for 28-odd years now, starting in 1980. South Africa have been involved since early 2000. In 2001, we sent our first team across. So I've, I've been fortunate again. I've been involved since the inception of competitive fly fishing. Okay, in, in South Africa, when did we start competing? We started, our first year that we actually competed was in uh, September of 2001. That's when we competed okay. first. Okay, so you've been to all international so Well, bar one. In okay. 2004, uh, we couldn't raise the funds. You know, most fly fishermen have the AIDS virus, the annual income deficiency syndrome. So uh, <laughs> we, didn't, we didn't raise the funds in 2004, which was a pity because the, they were fishing in Slovakia that year. But for the rest, I've been to seven odd championships now. What uh, is the best position you finished? Well, I was very fortunate. I finished, in the first year we competed, I finished second overall. So silver medalist in Sweden. Which was a, a special privilege, and yeah. um, considering we'd never, most of the team had never seen a grayling in their lives before, we were fishing some very interesting rivers, pretty large in some aspects, so it was great. And, um, you know, I got involved initially, not, not purely from the competitive thing, because competitive fly fishing is, uh, you know, is, is, it sits a little awkwardly with a lot of people. I've picked that up as well. It's difficult for me to understand it. I think uh, because fishing is something that is an internal uh, part of your life. Sure. Um, I don't quite get the competitive aspect to it. Well, it's quite interesting because uh, I, I hear what you're saying. Fly fishing specifically is, is, is very much a passion and a, and a bit of a very therapeutic. And a lot of people don't class uh, competitive angling. Competitive angling can be stressful, pretty taxing, um, but you learn in leaps and bounds. You know, what I've learned in competitive angling is phenomenal. Uh, it's taught me a lot. You've got to separate your social fishing from your competitive angling. You know, as you know, uh, I'm involved in a retail store and have been for 20-odd years this year. And people always say to me, don't you get tired of it? And the interesting thing is I fish because I enjoy it, not because I have to. And I'm still as passionate about my fishing now as I was 10, 15 years ago. There's no doubt, if not longer ago. Sure. You just said something which is my exact next question has taught you a lot. Give me a few things that, that you would never have learned if you weren't fishing Well, for one, the, the Czech nymphing and the Polish nymphing and the shortline nymphing that, that's so fashionable and so uh, widely used today in competitive angling. You know, as I said, when we fished in our first year, we had no idea what we were going to. But to be fair, the South Africans are, if the, the international guys take the South Africans pretty seriously. We finished 10th in the first year we'd competed out of 20-odd countries and it was the first time ever that a first-time entry had finished in the top 10. Sure. So that's quite an achievement. You know, we've hovered in the sort of mid-teens, you know, since we haven't managed to better our 10th position. Um, in Finland, ooh, last year, we were fourth going into the last day overall, which is a, is a very, very credible position. Mm. Unfortunately, we let it slip. I think we finished 13th, 14th odd, um, but it just shows that we have the ability. And again, you know, you've got to stress that we've been at it six or seven years. The international guys, this is their 28th world championship yeah. they've had, and a lot of them have been competing since the inception in 1980. So uh, there's a lot to be said there. We have a lot to learn, but the guys are keen. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, to get back what we've learned, uh, the Czech nymphing, 
I think also for me, what it's taught me is to is to learn to read and break water down into sections, and that's something you learn. You have to learn in a very short space of time. You know, yeah. you've got to be able to assess the water, work out where you're going to fish, make calls, and things like that. Also, different fly techniques, uh, different ways of thinking, weighted. You know, tungsten beads today are so commonly used. Weighted flies. Slender flies. Uh, you know, I don't tie enough of my own flies, but I can appreciate a good fly from a bad fly. Mm. One of the things I always sorry about in competitive angling is you don't get to peer into the guys' fly boxes, <laughs> even after the tournament. The fact that you might be fishing on a different continent the following year is uh, so. That's one of the things you don't get to do. You don't really get to see a lot of them on the water. Um, as a competitor, you're normally practicing when they're practicing. But there are, you know, the, the Czechs and the French currently dictate terms in world fly fishing and have done for the last eight. Ten plus years. Okay, well, what happened in New Zealand recently? Well, you know, I mean, it, it's interesting in that um, uh, I must say, to the New Zealanders' credit, I think they finished second or third. Um, it's not easy. Uh, I think the Czechs arrived a week prior, ten days prior, no, no real practicing before that, and they they literally cleaned up. You know, they. Um, but I think they fish under different circumstances. You know, we coined a phrase that catch and release is not big in Europe. You know, they fish to eat, mm. and they don't go out and fish socially. And the truth is, our fishing's too easy. And as soon as our fishing gets a little more taxing, we jump the fence and fish another piece of quieter water. We're still blessed with a lot of water. You know, to give you an idea, the Czechs might pick a team as well as the French from about 450 pro-tier skilled anglers. So you can imagine the intensity. They fish three or four internationals a year against the English and others. So it, it's a different sort of intensity. Okay, so what is the future of competitive fishing, especially in South Africa? I know that when I interviewed Peter uh, two or three weeks ago, uh, he told me there's only about 120, 150 competitive anglers in the country. Uh, where do you see South African angling going? Well, I'm sincerely hoping. You know, I've pretty much come to the end of my end of my spell. I'm regarded as one of the, the senior men in the in the Proteo side currently. It's interesting because uh, next year in 2009, the, the championship's in uh, Scotland, and the year after that's in Poland. I have a desire to go to Poland. I can't quite put my finger on, obviously, the fishing is one aspect, but I really want to go to Poland. So to fish for another two years, I'd obviously like to stay involved after that if I can. But to answer your question, there are a lot of really good, uh, very talented, young, up-and-coming anglers. You know, in the senior nationals held in the Western Cape, in October last year, there was a young man called Chase Nicholson, who I think is 17, not even 18 yet, and he finished second in the Senior Nationals, won the Junior Nationals. And I had the, the, the privilege of fishing with him in the, on the lakes in the first session of the, of the Nationals, and, and it, I, I thought to myself, what a wonderful opportunity to be 17, 18 years old, that sort of talent. And, uh, yeah, the nice thing about it is uh, if, if competitive angling is your thing, which obviously I'm pretty sure he'll be choosing. In fact, the juniors go to Portugal this year for the first time. Mm. So it's nice to see, you know, the competitive angling needs to be, there's still some teething problems in the structure and, and the running of competitive angling. But what's also interesting, as you mentioned, 120 anglers, but there are also another 30 odd uh, lady anglers, yeah. which is encouraging in itself. And uh, there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of education to be done. And we've got to lift the intensity of our competitive angling. There's talk of getting the Czech team or the French team over here to give us a sort of two, three-day workshop, not only theory, but do a day and a half of theory and a day and a half of, of practical hands-on, one-on-one sort of fishing. We've got to, you know, we're still lagging behind, which is almost acceptable with 20 years 
you know, the gap between us and the others is, is pretty substantial. But obviously, we'd like to compete at a high level if we can. And there's no doubt that we have the skills. You know, there, there's, there's skills in this country. We've always, I've always said you tend to sell your country short and our skills. We, we have world-class skills, there's, there's no doubt about it. Getting back to that 120 anglers, how do we get more people into the sport? Is there an easier way of doing it? Because I discussed with Peter as well, you have to be a member of a, a club, yes. which then fishes in its club competitions, which then proposes a team to a provincial competition. Um, is that the only way that you you see it going forward? Well, look, I, I think we should be making it easier as opposed to more difficult. You've really got to make entry into competitive fly fishing, and fly fishing for that matter, um, a lot easier than it is. Well, saying that, you know, a club is a good way uh, to start because their advice is there. There's some senior sort of fly fishers who can offer you advice in most instances without a, without a problem. But I think if you look at the world today, and this is not a local trend, this is, uh, I saw an article written by um, an Australian, very well known uh, Rex Hunt, very well known television uh, man, talking about involving new people in fly fishing and more specifically youngsters. And if, we, if we're going to make this industry, you know, grow, we're going to have to look along those lines. And there's a, there's a lot of work to be done. And obviously, youngsters today have all sorts of other distractions, computers and iPods and all sorts of funny games. and you know. So not a lot of them are getting out. So it is worrying. We have some youngsters. In my opinion, not nearly enough. And I think this is where a lot of the senior guys in the team really need to put a lot more effort in encouraging youngsters and teaching them, equipping them with the skills, whatever it takes. You know, we have some wholesalers in the country, tackle wholesalers are more than happy to put tackle into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of us are quite happy to, to donate the time. So, yeah, it's a pity you don't see more youngsters fly fishing, but that's something we, we've got to address without a doubt. True. You know, it's difficult for me to sit on this side of the table because I have so many questions, I, and I thought I'd just run into a few Quick ones. Um, let's do a run through of the, the a few things to remember for a couple of different species. Let's start off with trout. If we're fishing for trout in the in the mountains, uh, we've got a, a lake in front of our cottage, and we've got a piece of stream up top there. What do you recommend to the average angler to to just increase his, his chances of catching? Well, look, you need to have a basic understanding of of how each species you know functions. Obviously, trout. You know, all species have an optimum water temperature and air temperature that they function at. So you need to have an understanding of your quarry, what they're eating at different times of the year. And and I often find the advice is available. People, it's almost a Southern African sort of scenario. They're very reluctant to ask for advice. The other thing is, you know, it's interesting. You can't walk onto a golf course until you've had six or eight lessons. True. Uh, In fly fishing, there's a perception that you can just go and fly fish. Yes, you can. There's nothing to stop you and fly fish without a lesson. But... You can save yourself years of frustration uh, by getting some instruction up front, good instruction. And it can, it can shorten that learning curve and get you going. And, and it's such a wonderful pastime. It, it's, a bi- it's a big package, not just about catching fish. Mm. A lot of people tie their own flies. A lot of people are obsessed with the photography and the entomology. So there's a big package to it. So you need to understand what you're doing with trout, um, like with most species. Take someone, take a friend who's fished for them before, get some advice, get some good advice. Uh, you know, I've always said about books, DVDs, I always tell people there's a lot of conflicting information in those sort of sources. Make sure you read the books, watch the DVDs, but do so with an open mind hmm. and, and ask the questions. If you don't understand, you're not sure, keep asking the questions until you get uh, the right answers. Yeah, I think what you've said just holds true for both yellowfish and trout. Sure. Um, but there, there are other species which we don't get our fingers on a, a lot, and yeah. uh, tigers. Um, 
you must have had some awesome experiences with tigers. Well, we have. You know, we, we're so fortunate in that tigers obviously only occur in Africa. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's one of our unique species. You don't get them anywhere else in the world. And there are a lot of people who get really excited. You talk tiger fish to the Europeans or the Americans, you can see you know, there's a great desire to come to Africa, not only for the tiger fish, but obviously tiger fish right, right up there as a, as a fly rod quarry. But again, I think we've learned so much about tiger fish. And the one thing about fly fishing is the guys are prepared to push the envelope and ask questions, try different things. And, and, and a couple of years ago, you know, we fly fishing for tiger fish very successfully in the winter months where before the general consensus was that it has to be latter part of September, October, November, our, our summer months. Nowadays they're catching them very successfully May all the way through to October, November when a lot of the rivers start flooding and, and are very coloured. Again, you can catch them, but it's not nearly as easy as it is catching them very successfully in the winter months. Fly designs have improved. Uh, technology, fly line technologies improved. There's some very fast-sinking lines on the market. There's specific fly lines made by Rio for tiger fishing, the same with airflow. So there's a, there's a, there's a big market out there, and we're very lucky that we have fly fishing throughout the year. And a lot of people are amazed in the southern hemisphere with trout, that trout can actually survive our summers with water temperatures, yeah. 21, 22 degrees C. People are just blown away. Yeah, they've been here for 100 years, so they've acclimatized pretty well. Well, I've seen photographs of you on the flats with Bones and GTs, and, and hopefully you'll give us a little bit of insight into permits as well. Cosmo, Seychelles, you've been out there a little bit. I've spent more than my fair, fair amount of time there, and, and for those who haven't been, you really need to you know, save up. It's not cheap, sadly. Um, and there's a joke in the industry that says that uh, make sure that the first time you go to Seychelles, you've got enough money for the second trip. Because most people say, well, how do you know there'll be a second trip? I said, trust me, once you've experienced that sort of fishing. We're very, very fortunate in that the Seychelles is without doubt a world-class uh, saltwater fishery. The, uh, I've chatted to Americans who are familiar with bone fishing. You know, I used to doubt that all the hype around bone fishing. Once you've caught them in shallow water on a fly rod, they are everything they're made up to be. There's no doubt. You know, five to six pound bonefish in very skinny water or thin water is not only spectacular watching them feed in that sort of with their fins out of the water, um, but fishing for them in those sort of conditions is fantastic. Anywhere else in the world, if you get four to six, maybe eight bonefish a day, you've done well. It's not uncommon in the Seychelles to get 10 to 25 fish a day. Sure. And those fish on average are running five and a half, close to six pounds. So as an average, uh, very, very fortunate. Um, there's some other the other bits and pieces like the trigger fish which we've caught very successfully on fly with crab patterns very exciting uh, in fact I'd be hard caught I'd be very sport I've caught more than my fish here bonefish if someone said make a call you could give me trigger fish any day of the week <laughs> but Seychelles offers you that sort of you know they're, they're, they're wonderful places it's in the middle of nowhere we're fishing atolls 600 kilometers away from Maui the capital of uh, the Seychelles um, so you you really I always say man hasn't laid his gentle touch there yet and trashed it. It's in, uh, in most instances, it's in pristine condition. And obviously the other big exciting thing is, is fishing for GTs or giant trevally um, in crystal clear water. Uh, you're stalking them in often shin-deep, ankle-deep water with their fins out of the water. And these fish can go anything between 40 and 100 pounds. Uh, yeah. uh, there's a little chirp about GTs. I always say, you know, the truth is we shouldn't really be tackling those fish on a fly rod, but we're going to die trying. Um, yeah, we've caught some really big fish, you know, 60 to 80 pound fish, and in one or two instances bigger than that. And it's just, you know, it's uh, to see a fish, a fly rod away from you, and you're standing on the sand, and two or three fish, 40, 50 pounds, are trying to eat your fly at one time. It's pretty exciting. 
and, and you can almost watch him open his mouth and almost one eye is watching you um, a very special fishing a lot of battles uh, are lost broken fly rods lost fly lines in fact I have a friend who's a very analytical sort of fellow fly fisher he says you know Mark couldn't this be Gary? Uh, no actually <laughs> could, could well be a, a tiller the bun Gary Glenn Young um this fellow is actually named John Travis, one of the more, one of my more terminally ill patients. But he says to me, he says, Mark, you know, something I don't understand about this GT fishing. The backing's 50 pounds. The fly line tested about 50 pounds. And we don't knock around. We're using leaders 110, 120 pounds. Very delicate, seven foot from the fly line to the fly. He says to me, Mark, what happens when you hook a really big GTA and your fly line's out and he runs you right to the end of the, the backing? I said, John, what you do then is you bow politely and you break off. <laughs> So, very exciting fish. Um, I've been very fortunate. I've had fish in the 60-pound category on fly. I lost a fly line a couple of years ago. And those are the sort of battles you don't uh, you don't forget in area. But I've also seen some very big GTs in shallow water. Yeah, phenomenal fishing. Um, the fishery is under a little bit of pressure, as is most things. Obviously, it's all catch and release. But things that are changing, and you know, with uh, even with catch and release, uh, things change. We've witnessed patterns, fly patterns changing, colours. We're having to fish more imitative flies, and that. interesting progression, similar to what happened in, in fresh water. You know, that as soon as you pressure fish, but again, uh, for me, that's uh, that's pressing the envelope a little bit, forces you to think a little bit and give things uh, a little bit of thought. So yes, the Seychelles, uh, there's a lot to it. We're very lucky in that the, the, the islands lie in what we call the Amarantes, and there are almost 40 to 50 of these sort of islands. Um, so there's a lot of homework to be done, and we're very fortunate. It's it's maybe seven, eight hours from flight out of Johannesburg, mm. and you're fishing. So it's nice and close. And for once, we don't feel we, we're not you know, the poorer cousins. We have some really good fishing on our doorstep, which yeah. is encouraging. Can I press you then on, on the American guys? I know it's about a 36, maybe even 45-hour transit from, from the States to the Seychelles. Yeah. Is that keeping them off the islands, or are we getting a lot of Americans coming yeah, through We're getting now? more than our fair share. But to do that sort of trip, you've got to fit into that what I call the hardcore category. You know, a lot of people are... A lot of them have come over and experienced fishing that they either have never experienced in life or experienced a long, long time ago, and it's not like it was. Mm. Um, so there are a lot of them traveling out to Cosmolito and a couple of those sort of atolls um, and experiencing fishing, some of the finest fishing in the, you know, in the world, there's no doubt about it. Yeah, kind of like us trying to get to Christmas Island. Similar, those sort of things. You know, the green grass on the other side, as we call it. You know, the one thing that always strikes me is what we've done to our coast. It's damaged beyond repair. In a lot of, we, we could repair it if we were really serious about it. But what we've, all the pollution and all the other bits and pieces, is, uh, is, yeah, we have a lot to answer to. Okay, so I know you've uh, guided a few of our local celebrity sportsmen. Who have you guided and give us an interesting... Mainly our cricketers, which is quite interesting. I've uh, guided and fished with uh, gentlemen like Buddha Dibbenau, Jacques Rudolph and also Lance Klusner. It's interesting, Lance Klusner is not only a fly fisher, but a keen rock and surf angler. And Pat Simcox recently has taken to, to fly fishing. Never guided or fished with him yet, but it's on the long list of things to do. I've also guided our illustrious uh, Mr. Ronnie Casserles. And also, more recently, uh, Maddie Hayden and yep. Andrew Simmons they are from the Australian cricket team. That must have been an experience. It was. We were fishing the Vaal. Very talented fly fishers. They obviously fish uh, wherever they get a chance. So it was really nice. Very laid-back fellows. And it was a nice opportunity. It was fairly recently, too. You've been in the tackle trade a while. Tell us about what's changed in the tackle trade over the last couple of years. Well, I've been in the industry 20 years, which is a long, long time. And I haven't regretted it. I've enjoyed it. I'm very lucky. I enjoy the tackle. I enjoy the teaching aspect. And 
tackles moved along. Obviously, top end fly rods uh, moved along. Um, Nowadays, people always say, well, what's the difference in, in different models? Uh, rods today are a lot more user-friendly. I think all the top tackle manufacturers, the rod manufacturers, for example, are using very similar sort of materials and graphite, but they're definitely making rods a lot more user-friendly and easier to cast and easier to work with. So interesting from that point of view. What's also interesting is how the East are manufacturing nearly 95% plus of our, our tackle, which is very interesting. You know, today still top-end fly reels, rods, and fly lines come out of the states. But for the rest, um, and maybe some very uh, some of the better technical rain gear. And that's what, but for the rest, it comes out of the east. Yeah. Waders, wading shoes, uh, rods, and they're starting to make some really good rods. You know, the, the, the impression was like with motorcars. You know, that the, the stuff coming out of the east was rubbish. There's some really good stuff coming out of the east. In fact, some of the American manufacturers are having some of their their entry-level rods manufactured in the east. Which is quite interesting. So yeah. When, when you say top of the, some of the top, are you talking about Sage? I'm talking about Sage, Dumas, Orvis, Scott. Uh, you know those sort of fellows. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I know TFO was on a, a big drive. They produced everything out of the east and Lefty as part of their team. Have you fished much of the TFO stuff? No, I haven't. To tell you the truth, um, it's quite interesting in that maybe four or five years ago it was offered to us as a brand. But obviously we're in the retail market, not so much in the wholesale market. And yeah. we're one of the, the few sage dealers in the country, so that's the rod we support and um, import directly. And they make such a wide range of rods that cover all aspects, all sort of price points cleverly. So we just find that we, we're better off sticking to one brand. Okay. Uh, where do you see it going in South Africa currently? I mean, there's a lot of guys coming in now. Uh, I know the Vision's coming in, and uh, we've got Stealth who've been around a while now. Sure. Where do you see that going? Look, we're very, very fortunate. You know, the South African re, uh, fly fisher um, doesn't quite know how spoiled they are. There's more tackle available to them in South Africa almost than anywhere else in the world. You know, there's, there's product from the east, so there's a price point that starts at, you know, in the lower 100 rands and goes up into the couple of thousand rand. And the, and the quality is really good. We've got wholesalers importing product, which definitely as a retailer makes life a lot easier. So we're very, very fortunate to have the tackle uh, available to us. Where it's going in the, in the future, you know, I'm sincerely hoping that obviously fly fishing uh, will grow. We're very lucky to have the Vol River an hour and a half out of Johannesburg. You know, it's an indigenous fish for our smallmouth yellows. But it, it makes a huge difference. You know, a couple of years ago, we literally had floods on the river. And it impacted very heavily on retail, the wholesale side, and the, and the people who manufacture flies. So just then maybe came home. We've always known it's very important, but we maybe realized just how important. Where it's going to go is not easy. I'm sincerely hoping the health of the industry is fairly healthy. I think what is of concern is, is finding new water and looking after a lot of our water. And environmentally, sadly, a lot of our water is under a lot of pressure. And we've really got to um, work hard to, to get the quality of that water back up because if we don't, the fish will go accordingly. And that's going to affect everybody's fly fishing, not only fly fishing, other fishing too. I think more and more people are realizing that we've got to make sure that the, the quality and standard of our water is in good shape. That, that leads me beautifully into the next question, which is thoughts on, on yellowfish conservation, largemouth under pressure. Uh, we've got pressure in the Western Cape with a, a whole bunch of the, the species. We have nine, of which you could probably only really catch six, even if you tried hard. Well, you know, the truth is that only six or seven of those are true yellowfish species. Um, a lot of their habitats are under threat. 
you know, there's this big anti-trout drive currently, you know, labelling them aliens. The irony of it is we've been, we've had this discussion nearly 15 plus years ago. And I think the conservationists, the truth is, I think they're trying to look after their jobs at the moment. Try to be with us 100 years. My question is, why all of a sudden are they flavour of the month? There's no doubt that I think any fly fisher in his right mind will, will appreciate that you can't transfer fish into very sensitive areas, and those sensitive areas need to be protected. But by the same token, I'm trying to be with us, uh, there's a huge industry, multi-billion rand industry, which is supported by trout. Um, yes, we need to look more carefully, but I think a lot of the, the, the things the conservationists miss is they are very hesitant to rehabilitate some of the rivers where a lot of those indigenous fish have disappeared. And they've disappeared for one simple reason only, stream uh, degradation, siltation, poor farming. Um, and we really need to rehabilitate. You know, we talk about breeding indigenous minnows. You can pour them in there by the billions. They disappeared for a very good reason initially. And until you rehabilitate that river to its former quality and quality of water, nothing's going to survive in there. So there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of more awareness and a lot more education. You know, it's really interesting because there are quite a few television programs, not only fly fishing but rock and surf, all facets of fishing. And there's, there's a nice environmental message in a lot of them. Um, and it's important. I, I think all facets of fishing can survive side by side without too much of a problem. There's a lot we can learn from each other and, and, uh, and a lot more interaction between fly fishers, fishers and the authorities and the, the scientists, the, the propeller heads as I call it. You know? and there's a lot of this people dictating to fly fishers and they haven't been on the river for five years and we're saying, oh, you actually haven't got a clue as what's going on. True. Pollution, environmental issues back home. You know, the Vaal, it's interesting in that the, it flows through an area called the Fredefort Dome, which has been declared a World Heritage Site. The fact that we can still treat a river like a sewer that flows through a World Heritage Site for me is just, uh, it's mind-boggling. We've really got a lot of work to do in that aspect. And you know, they always say the thing about common sense is not so common, and the greatest threat to the world is ignorance. So we really need to look after not just certain aspects, the environment per se. We really need to lift our game in that department. What kind of advice would you give to somebody? You spoke about it earlier, trying to get somebody to teach you. And you're right, I went for golf lessons before I started playing golf. Sure. I think what's really important is that, um, you know, being able to fly fish is one thing. Getting someone to teach you how to fly fish is something quite different. A lot of people say, well, my friend fly fishes." he or she will teach me. Now, unless you're very, very fortunate in that you have a, a friend who's not only one, a competent fly fisher, but a very competent teacher, there's a vast difference between being able to do something and teaching someone how to do it. Now, in my opinion, there may be four or five people in the country who can teach properly. Go to, I would say, if you're going to get into fly fishing, go to a fly fishing specialist store. There's no doubt about True. it. Go to a store where you feel comfortable, where you looked after, treated well, and people are going to actually have your interests at heart. And so, well, if you get the outfit here, we'll teach you. Give you the first lesson or two as part of the deal. Uh, for me, the emphasis, a lot of retailers don't look at it that way. For me, it's quite simple. Either the, the person entering into fly fishing, if you don't give them the right advice or the right teaching or anything else, they're going to keep at it for maybe two, three months, and after that they're going to say, you know, this is really frustrating. It's not my game. I've learned nothing. I haven't caught any fish. That's not for me. Now, for me... You've lost one, an ambassador for fly fishing and the environmental issues we spoke about. But if you spend a little bit of time just elevating their skills, catching some fish, just building their confidence, once someone's caught their first fish or two, then you're away. Then it's, uh, as I said, it's that slippery downhill path, and the addiction is definitely going to set it. But you really need to encourage people. Right, let's move into our quick fire favorites. Um, your favorite dry fly? I'd have to say something like a clink hammer. Favourite nymph? Good old pheasant tail, Zach nymph, which is obviously a local uh, South African. 
Uh, favorite ride? High fish sages. I really believe that um, you know those are my working tools, as I call them. So if I get a chance, that's 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 what we import. Great product, great company to do business with. Okay, favorite friend. You can't be anywhere in the world. You know, I'd say I mentioned the South Island of New Zealand, but you could give me the vol on a good day. Stokefontein Dam fishing for yellow. So we're very blessed in South Africa, Zambezi for tigers. So there are quite a few of them. I'd say international, South Island, New Zealand. Favorite species. Yeah, tough call, you know. Um, yellowfish for me are right up there. Uh, I mentioned the triggerfish and big GTs. We're very spoiled to have a couple, you know. Permit? Hot. Yeah, you know, you mentioned permit. Um, we're very lucky in the Seychelles again to have what they call an Indo-Pacific Pompano. I've never fished exclusively for permit in, in the States. I've, I've seen a couple in the water when I was in Belize in 1998. And my guide got very animated because we'd had the tarpon and the bonefish and there was a small permit. But thinking back then, what we knew then to what we know now, there was a very little chance of getting the Grand Slam. But I always tell people about permit. It's the one and only fish that made my legs shake, ever. They're very special, very finickety, um, and you could spend... They're one of those fish that really get you fired up. Uh, will refuse the fly when they're three millimeters away from the fly and do something totally contrary to what you expect them to do really worthwhile quarry there's no doubt about it they come few and far between um, people always say what's it like catching a permit I say it's like hitting a hole in one end of Augusta I think it's uh, <laughs> sort of, you know. ok so put a pig on the wall permit yeah, yeah without a doubt yeah. there are lots of people who refer to them as the holy grail of fly fishing but they they rate right up there favourite technique yeah, I think if I had a choice I'd be fishing dry flies favourite uh, gadget or gizmo yeah, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a great sort of gizmo sort of person, but, you know, some of the little tools that are available today, little scissor pliers from Dr. Slick that cut nylon and squash the, the, the barb on a, on a hook and remove the hook, um, and very cleverly a little spike that takes that very irritating varnish out of the eye of the fly, for me, has to rate as uh, one of the favorite gizmos. Okay, favorite movie, and don't say the movie. Well, the, the movie for me is, 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 is one movie, and it actually has, uh, you know, a connotation to it too. Uh, uh, I lost a good friend to, in fly fishing. He drowned in a float tube accident um, in, uh, when I'd come back from, uh, to Johannesburg, from Peter Maritzburg, in about 92, I think it was. So it had a really nice mix to me, and there's a very nice environmental message and a life message in uh, River Runs through it. But uh, one of my all-time favorites is Scent of a Woman, Al Pacino. Okay, favorite author? I'm not a great reader, you know. Um, I've read, uh, you know, I wouldn't say that there's an author that I'd, I'd be lying if I don't read nearly enough. People always say, well, why don't you read? I said, when I'm old and decrepit and I can't fly fish anymore, <laughs> I'll do some reading. But yeah, I'd say some of Lefty Craze books are, are good reading. Yeah. John Gerrach has to write yeah. right up there. True. Um, he he, he, he epitomises for me what a hardcore fly fisher should be about. Okay, well, I'm not going to ask you what book then, but we'll move on to the next one, yeah. which is uh, interesting sightings. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. You know, a lot of people don't know I'm as almost as uh, obsessed with uh, birding as I am with fly fishing so it, it's it's wonderful to marry the two together and I've seen some wonderful bits and pieces on the river you know interesting sightings yeah it's normally just you know out of the ordinary birds and bits and pieces that I've seen we've seen some uh, elephants and hippos charging through the water in on the lower Zambezi so those would rate right up there but we're very very blessed in that uh, we have a little bit of everything all expenses paid and 
anywhere you want to go? Uh, I'd say I'd, well, I want to go to Papua New Guinea. You know, it's very interesting. Lefty Crater refers to it as the, the last frontier. There's a fish there called the, the black bass, not the bass we know. This is a fish, my understanding, is a, it lives in sort of both fresh and salt water and brackish water. He rates it as one of the hardest fighting fish. I think there's also this, this mythical experience in Papua New Guinea. There's a long list, but I'd say if someone said you've got an all-expensive paid trip, that's where I'd want to go. Yeah, I've heard uh, Lefty talk about the uh, New Guinea bass. Yeah. yeah. And he says there's nothing. Sure. Nothing comes even close he's to He's done it. a bit of spot, spot of fishing in his life. He has too. Thank you, Mark. That was really great. I really appreciate it. Pleasure, Mark. It's been my pleasure. Okay, so Don and I have just driven about um, five hours to get 250 kilometers. <laughs> Got stuck in traffic outside Witbank, uh, detour and derouting everybody. And we've just had a close incident with a rod and the ground and rule number one being broken. For those of you who do know that, that rule number one is just never leave your rod on the ground, it fell over, Don stepped back out of the car, put his foot on the rod, and it didn't break. Anyway, we're going to run down the little dam in front here, and then... Um, Apparently some weirs in the river. We'll go down. I'm fishing my little two-weight Scott, eight foot eight. We'll see how it goes. Cheers. Right, so we've been here about uh, ten minutes. I got bust up on five X. Don's just landed a killer fish. Don, you enjoy that? Man, it was fantastic. Fantastic. And there's another fish cruising here. They're cruising about. A meter off the bank, you're getting them all the way through to three quarters of a line out. And I'm sight fishing for the little ones on the side. Don's obviously throwing it to the middle. It's going to be an awesome afternoon. Just an update on Don. Four and a half pounder. And that was about five minutes ago, he just loaded the one kilo. So that's one and a half kilos. Let's call it 1.7. Um, yeah, it might be a smallish dam. It's obviously well stocked because there's good fish in this that dam. That fish was sun-tanned dark brown. <laughs> I must say, I'm having lots of fun. There are so many fish cruising the bank here, and the water is crystal clear. And sight fishing to one and a half, two kilo fish, and I've got something on my fly. Let's see if I can get it on the take. And he ate, and he ate, and I'm on, and I'm on, and I'm on, and it's about, I'd say, about a kilo fish, and he's fighting me good. Little two-weight uh, Scott uh, really putting a little bit of pressure in, and he's running, and he's off. Okay, so I've left on um, at one of the weirs, trundling up a tiny alpine stream. I'll see if I can post a pic of it. Must be flowing at about a third of a ton, maybe about uh, two, maybe four or five cubic feet. Uh, crystal clear, I haven't seen a fish yet, I think because they stock it so hard, I doubt if there are any. But I'll just fish it as per normal. You know what's so awesome about fishing is just the walking along the side of the river. I've just walked about two or three hundred meters just on the path. And uh, I walked my way through a little yellowwood stinkwood forest. I'm following the trail now and just looking in the sand for any spur that looks interesting. Uh, I see small cat. I don't know if it's a feral cat or if it's genus. Um, but it's definitely cat, it's not dog. Uh, and it's been following the spur quite a way. There's um, 
some crab shells I think left behind by water mouse dog or water mongoose. I've seen holes in the bank on the far side where I think kingfish are burrowing. I'm just walking into another quiet little forest. You hear the stream tumbling down next to me. It's quite awesome. I see these guys have got horses on the farm so obviously there's horse, tra horse tracks everywhere. And uh, very very pretty little piece of water. Um, quite commercial but, but still very pretty. And uh, I'm thoroughly enjoying my day out. It's now I'm actually not fishing, I'm just doing a little walk. And the tumbling water is something I haven't heard for a couple of months and I'm really enjoying it. I see some ferns on the other side. My word, look at those. Those are so pretty. Wow. And a beautiful big pool. Might actually be a fish in there, but I think I'm just going to carry on walking. Apparently there's a waterfall up top there. Take a stroll up and have a look around. I doubt this is going to come out, but um, I'm standing at the bottom of the falls and they're about 35-45 meters high. Uh, a little rainforest, they had to put the landscape back on the camera. It's getting a bit wet out here. Absolutely gorgeous. And the guy who stocks the river says he put some fish in at the bottom of the falls. But uh, I think it's too pretty to fish. This is quite awesome. Beautiful little gorge. Uh, absolutely stunning little hike. Not too far, bring the missus. You're going to be able to drag her up perfectly. Um, lots of little holes all the way up. I've got two or three that I'm going to try on the way back down and I'm just standing here just loving it. There's aloes clinging to the rocks. I see trees growing out of the rocks. Oh, what an awesome, awesome day. Well, I've got to say that was definitely worth getting out of town for. We drove five hours and walked for a little while and uh, got to see some awesome stream, got to catch some fish. Donya ended with two, huh? Two fish. Oh, two good fish and uh, unfortunately I got snapped off three times but uh, I had an awesome walk up to the waterfall. Great little venue. I think the accommodation looks superb, fishing's good, bring the wife, the kids, um, take your mountain bikes. Yeah, he's got it all. It's uh, something quite special that's sitting out in the middle of nowhere. They say you know life is given But I tell you now it's all within that river You find yourself in the heart of heaven Close off so long you could swim forever To rest your grace, the silver sands lead the way. The water's golden stories told. Free clouds out by summer days. Fun way to spend today. Take yourself, be right away. Drive six hours and walk five days. Hey, hey, hey.